Hello and welcome to At The Letters for Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you. Arden Zwelling alongside me. Christian Ryan producing this show along with Nick Andrade. So thanks to them and thanks as well to you for tuning in. Two weeks away from the MLB trade deadline and there's a lot of intrigue uh, with most teams in baseball, definitely including the Toronto Blue Jays' intrigue on the pitching staff, of course, with respect to the trade deadline. And Arden, they're actually playing, I would say, their best baseball of the year at this point. So it it adds up to a pretty interesting time for the Jays. And really, to win 8 of 9 sets them up to be able to go into this trade deadline from a pretty good position. Not only to like win 8 of 9, but to do it somewhat comprehensively. What, 5.6 runs per game over that span? Only 2.8 runs against a plus 25 run differential hitting 272 with a 770 OPS in that span. We've seen some homers, a bunch of extra base hits. Uh, The bullpen has been untouchable. Six earned runs over 33 innings pitched over the last nine games. It's unquestionably the best stretch of baseball we've seen from the Blue Jays to this point in the season. I think that has a lot to do with the quality of competition. I think that has a lot to do with the uh, runners in scoring position numbers normalizing quite a bit. And it just has a lot to do with the ebbs and flows of a season and how you're going to have your peaks and your valleys. And this is unquestionably a big time peak for the Blue Jays. Bichette gets into one. Make a catch, Jimmy. Number 16, and it comes at a big time for the Blue Jays. It really is. Right now, as we record this on Tuesday morning, they are 53 and 41. So that's 12 games above 500. That is the highest above 500. They have been at any point this season. They are in that second wildcard position behind the Orioles, ahead of the Houston Astros, ahead of the Red Sox, ahead of the Yankees. So they're in a good position. And, you know, for much of the season, the American League East has been kind of out of reach for this team right now they're five and a half back and it's been a weird meandering path to get to this point but you're five and a half games out of the division on July 18th you're in it you're in that race and so that really adds intrigue to everything that's going to happen for this team and of course you can't afford to you know blow the next four games and and have all those gains disappear but as things stand right now they are very much in that race Absolutely. There's still so much time left in the season that you need to see just how the Blue Jays play through the next several weeks, how the Yankees and Astros play, uh, what the Orioles do, whether the Rays continue to drop back down to earth or whether they catch another surge. Um, you know, the, the standings picture could look like vastly different, you know, four weeks from now, six weeks from now. Like, when do you think is the real time to start looking at the standings? Is it any point before September 1st? Yeah. Like, I would look at them now pretty much every day. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I don't think you read too much into them. I think people within the Blue Jays organization look at the standings pretty often now. You know, there's there's a point where it's like it's actually just too early to look. But I would look at them now uh, for sure. I think they look at their win projection and their expectancy over the rest of the season and just how what else is happening around them in the AL East impacts that. But I don't know that they're looking at like the standings in the way that you and I look at the standings. You know what I right. mean? Right. I mean, but if you if you ran into Ross Atkins in the hallway at Rogers Center today and you said, Ross, I absolutely need to know this. You have to get this right. How many games back are you guys in the American League East? I think he would get it. He might not, but I think he would. 
We should test them one day because I really don't know. It. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's obviously you know gotten to the point that it makes more sense to check now than it did on April the 18th or May the 18th. This is a point where you know you're really starting to get a sense of where you are in the standings, and that does inform deadline stuff. We'll spend some time talking about the trade deadline and what the Blue Jays might do, what their approach might look like. But suffice to say, just from a big picture level, the better they play the more reasons this team gives the front office to actually go out there and reinforce this team. And and also, if they play really well like this, it actually offers some clarity as to what they need and what they don't need. Because, you know, the bullpen, to name one example, this is a group that, as you said, has pitched really well for an extended period, really all season, but especially lately. And it starts to look like a bit less of a need right now. Yeah, it's still like a Kenyon Middleton in there, to be honest with you. For sure. I mean, you always want more pitching, um, but I think compared to last year this time, you're not as scared. Like if it's not a position of desperation, I thought the Blue Jays last year missed out. Like I thought that they made a mistake by not going out there and bolstering their bullpen further. This year, I think it's a nice to add. I don't think it's a must add. I still think you can never have enough pitching, and I still think you're only a Jordan Romano back injury being worse than it is away from thinning out dramatically there and I think it's like it's a it's a testament to the Blue Jays bullpen the way they pitched through that Arizona Diamondbacks series without Jordan Romano because that doesn't only impact the ninth inning like that cascades down right like there are reverberations throughout your bullpen all of a sudden you're asking everybody to change their role and you're asking pitchers who maybe weren't facing a certain level of leverage to face more of that leverage than they were you're asking Nate Pearson to go on back-to-backs and like Jimmy Garcia is getting saves for the first time and who knows how long like it, it I thought that they did a very good job of covering that for three games but if you didn't have Jordan Romano for a longer period of time i have questions about how this bullpen would hold up particularly considering the workloads that we've seen for guys like eric swanson jimmy garcia and tim Mesa, who are each in like the top 10 to 20 relievers in baseball in terms of appearances and on pace for well over 70 a piece so i i'm not deprioritizing adding to my bullpen going into the trade deadline honestly i'm still looking at my boy keenan middleton or or somebody else i mean you you talk to blue jays people and last deadline like they prepped out a list of like 75 names on the relief market that they did all their homework on and had conversations with other teams about and i would assume that it's going to be a similar level of thoroughness taken to the relief market this year i would agree I would agree. I think that this is the time for that. They have the personnel in place. You know, what is the front office for? If not to get a sense of what those prices are and to identify some potential bargains and to make the team better. So one way of doing that is by upgrading the bullpen. You know, we saw Mitch White load the bases on Sunday in a five-run lead situation. Clearly, if you have a reliever who's out there in low leverage loading the bases with walks, you can improve your bullpen. And so you should look to see if that's a possibility. Not saying otherwise, just saying that this is a group that's that's really strong and they've played really well. And I think that it's allowed them to move ahead from a position of strength with respect to that bullpen. And it's it's amazing. I mean, you mentioned that Diamondback series, but not only was Jordan Rano not available for that series, but their top starting pitcher wasn't available either in Kevin Gosman. So you go into a series against the team that arrived in Toronto in first place and no ace of the staff, no closer, and they still sweep. I mean, it's a, it's a testament to the pitching staff 
that they were able to do that. Yeah, and it's how thin the margins are, though, for this club with the lack of depth that we've seen to this point, particularly when it comes to starting pitching. When the Blue Jays have needed a sixth starter this year, they haven't had like a capable option to come up from AAA, and they've thrown bullpen games, and they've gone with a four-man rotation. So look, if the injury luck turns for this club over the final two and a half months, if uh, like uh, Kevin Gosman has to miss extended time or like if uh jose brios takes a comebacker or whatever like it's just i imperative that the blue jays build out more depth between now and and the deadline and acquire somebody who and and i mean i've been looking to that sort of swing type market that michael lorenzen type who could fill in as a you know back end of the rotation starter type or give you some length out of the bullpen and like take a full trip through out of the pen or throw two innings in, in the middle of a game. Or if you need them to fill this role, like let the stuff like play up and go max effort for one inning and try to strike some dudes out. I think it's still, that's still something this, this club needs to acquire despite how well it was able to, to cover the innings it needed to cover in that diamonds back series. Interesting. So you're maybe a little more on the, hey, imperative side of things for pitching than me. I, I think I'd put it still in sort of the nice to have bucket, like as in like definitely nice to have, like definitely would want pitching. But it sounds like you're maybe a bit more like, hey, they really need this. I think looking ahead to the next two and a half months, you just want to build out a roster that has as much depth and talent and versatility and utility as possible so that if disaster strikes if things go wrong and guys get hurt or if it's like hey Alejandro Kirk just is not somebody who we want taking plate appearances at all right now if that happens down the stretch uh it we're not there yet he's still gonna play but you might get to a point later the season where it's like hey rowers met the road and we gotta win games right now you want to have solid replacements like you want to have people from within who can cover for those gaps and so that's on the pitching side absolutely i think it's on the position player side as well where you'd like to have better bench options than nathan lucas and ernie clement 100 uh, and we'll get to the position player side i think that that's where i would start to lean more into the territory of this is imperative this is not good enough so you're not going to win the world series with this group we'll see what they end up doing but as for the pitching staff so they're at an interesting point right now in the sense that Alec Manoa returned, and we have not done a podcast since Alec Manoa returned. We were both covering that game in Detroit when he made his uh, return to the major leagues after a month in the minors. He's about to pitch on Tuesday, a few hours after we record this as well. So we don't know the outcome of that game, obviously. But the Jays broadly, with Manoa back, and then Ryu making a lot of strides in his rehab, getting to the point that if you really needed to, you could probably pitch him in a major league game this weekend they are now at a point with their starting rotation that they have more depth than they've had at any point since, I mean, at any point in the last calendar year, really. I mean, I can't even remember the last time they had six starters hovering around the major leagues. But alongside that, you have the injury question around Kevin Gossman. Well, and how confident are you in that depth, Ben? When you're talking about Hunjin Ryu, a guy who hasn't pitched at the big league level for over a year and who, I mean, best case scenario, you're probably looking at for two trips through uh, five and dive best case. And then Alec Manoa, who like, yeah, looked better against Tigers, certainly. But if you just take his last four starts in affiliated balls, so including the minor league ones, two of them have been strong and two of them have been disasters. So how good do you feel about your depth? Well, 
I would feel better than I have at any point in the last year, for sure. I think that it's an improvement. To have a Hunjin Ryu ready at the major league level is a lot better than having him, you know, midway through a Tommy John rehab. Now, he's still a guy who sits 87, 88, and I have real doubts as to how well that can work against major league hitters. But if anyone can do it, it's probably a guy like Ryu, a guy in that Mark Burley, Kyle Hendricks mold, where it's location, where it's changing speeds, where it's doing some of those sequencing things that allow him to keep hitters off balance. So I'm open-minded to the idea that Ryu can still be an effective major league pitcher. And I think that having him as depth is definitely better than having you know Zach Thompson or Casey Lawrence's depth. I would, I would definitely prefer that. I was very impressed by what I saw from Alec Manoa in Detroit um, with more strides to come, with a lot more work to come. He's not you know, a finished product yet, but I believe that he could probably be a number four or five starter for this Strong ball club. Right Manoa trying to get through six innings. Runner goes again, and the 3-2 swung on and missed. Got it with a fastball away. And if that's you know, that's night, a pretty good position to be in with the front four that they've assembled. So, you know, how confident am I in this depth? Reasonably. I, I think that... You're talking about the four, five, six starters in a major league rotation. Rarely is that going to inspire a ton um, of confidence, and that's the case here as well. But I think that it's good enough and, and certainly better than what it was. I just don't think it's good enough for the Blue Jays not to be adding pitching at the deadline. Yeah, that's a fair take. So what are you targeting then? Is it um, that swing reliever type like a Lorenzen? 100%. Like I think that's what I'm looking for, but... Honestly, if I can add a true starter and the price makes sense, maybe if they're controllable beyond this year, like I'm, I'm not thumbing my nose at that. And I'm also not thumbing my nose at like a ninth inning option, a high leverage swing and miss setup arm. Well, a, a setup arm would be great. That's something that could help any team. I think you're talking about a role that is really big in the course of the playoffs, in the course of, you know, trying to make your way through four rounds you definitely want those setup type relievers um, who can get a lot of strikeouts and who can really help you out that way. So if you can do it, I think it'd be great. I think adding pitching would definitely be a good way to go for this team. And I, I think they will explore that. To your point earlier, you look at last year, I think there's no question they will explore that. And I wonder if they do end up trading off their major league roster, because at a certain point, you start adding relievers to a group that already has Chad Green coming back and I wonder if in the course of those deals, if they do add pitching, if they end up moving someone off of you know the major league roster, or maybe it's a Zulueta, maybe it's someone off of the minor leagues, um, but trading pitching to get pitching. I think there's room for like a 40-man consolidating deal here. Um, and like you said, whether that's somebody who's on the big league roster right now or whether that's somebody who's in the minors right now, like you think about you know Max Castillo at this time last year, had kind of gotten to the big leagues, had his cup of coffee, shown that he was capable as like a number five. Uh, he ends up in the Whit Merrifield deal. Is Bowden Francis in a similar situation right now with what he came up and showed at the big league level earlier this year where he has that kind of um, 
that kind of value in trade is, you know, Thomas Hatch, Mitch White. You know, like I, I do think that there is room for the Blue Jays to kind of consolidate a bit on their 40 man if particularly if they are acquiring somebody who like is under contract for 2024 at least and maybe even 25 as well somebody who can help them fill some of the like holes that are upcoming on on future rosters because we know this is how the, the blue jays like to approach the deadline every year and where they try to get ahead of some of their work for the off season and they try to put somebody in place who's gonna be not just helping them for two months but you know somebody like a Whit Merrifield or a Ross Stripling or a Mitch White who's going to be a part of future years teams as well I mean that would help for sure that would help I think the nice thing for the Jays is as they go into this offseason they have five starters in place you know no one is on the brink of free agency when you look at their top five of uh, Gosman, Barrios, uh, Kikuchi, Bassett they're all coming back Manoa of course can come back so you have five starters in place your core relievers are also coming back, um, led by Jordan Romano, of course. So I don't think they're in a position of desperation there, which is great. And I think most of their efforts, both this deadline and beyond into this offseason, will be on the position player front and really should be. However, you literally can never have enough pitching and you can never have enough guys that you would be comfortable putting out there in a wildcard game. And again, you know, Mitch White, you know, might be a promising pitcher for this team, but I think at this point, pretty safe to say you don't want him pitching in a high leverage spot and the Blue Jays actions reflect that. So there's always room to upgrade as long as you have any, you know, one pitcher on your staff that you don't trust in high leverage. There's still room to upgrade. So you've come around to my position that fast well i i don't think my position really has changed i think that my <laughs> position is is has always been pitching would be nice i just wouldn't say it's imperative i just think you're you're trying to win a world series this year like you're trying to win right now so you really do need to like consolidate as much talent and versatility and utility as possible on on your 26 going into the postseason all right well we will discuss more on the trade front uh, a little bit later Uh, But in the meantime, we will take a quick break here on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back to At The Letters, and let's shift our attention a little bit. Let's zoom out a little bit beyond the Toronto Blue Jays and look at one of the most interesting teams in baseball and certainly the most interesting player in baseball. That's obviously Shohei Otani. The Angels are 47 and 48 as we record this. Not very good. At the same time, they are not totally out of it. They are somewhat within the wildcard race of five and a half games back. Shohei Otani, just another incredible season, maybe his best yet. He's got 35 homers on pace for 60. He's pitching like an ace. Arden, I guess this all begins with, do you think the Angels will trade Shohei Otani? There's a fly ball, left center field. Did he get it up? He flips the bat. Bader's at the wall. It's gone. It's tied. Shohei Otani, his 35th home run. It's three to three. Uh, Can I answer that in like two weeks? Well, I think we'll know in two weeks. Because uh, if I'm the Angels, I'm running this like right down to the last second possible, and I'm letting as much information come in as possible as it pertains to the, how my team is performing, where I stand in the uh, AL wild card race, and what I think the likelihood is of Shohei Otani resigning with my franchise. 
fair enough. I mean, you certainly want to play that out. You certainly want to uh, make sure that you have all the information possible. Even if the angels are out of it, there's a chance that they decide to hold on. And there's a chance that they decide we're just not going to get enough back in a trade for a guy who is such a franchise-altering player, a historical figure in baseball history at this point. Are you going to make that move for a couple prospects just because it's the best offer on paper? I, you know, I think that there's a chance that they would decline to do it. But if they do, then everything is thrown up in the air. And I remember last year with the Juan Soto stuff, it seemed like he wasn't going to be traded. It seemed like they wanted a massive, massive return for him, which they ended up getting, and he ended up being moved. So you never know with these things. And we'll see how everything plays out in the weeks leading up to the August 1st trading deadline. But this thing could go a lot of different directions. So I guess if you're the Blue Jays, like viewed from the Blue Jays' perspective, how would you be looking at this? What would you want? What would you not want? What would you expect? You want to gauge the price, absolutely, because like any team should be attempting to add an athlete who is simultaneously a top five hitter and top 10 pitcher in the game in spite of what that would mean for the rest of your rotation and your roster construction and all the things that come along with it and how you set up your your pitching staff going like all of the, you know there's a lot of considerations so when you had a Shohei Otani like there are a lot of kind of reverberations throughout your your roster um but yeah you absolutely get a gauge of the price and see if you can meet it right and i i mean i'd be pretty stunned just Honestly, like I, I would be pretty stunned if the Blue Jays somehow like I, I don't even I'm not even going to float that as like a, you know, semi realistic option. I think that you're right. You have to do your diligence. You have to get a sense of what the price is. I don't think even in a world where he's traded, I don't see it happening because the Blue Jays prospect capital is not so great that they would necessarily feel comfortable uh, dealing much or all of it for a rental player, even a historically great rental player like Shohei Otani. But what about the other part of that question? Who, if you're the Blue Jays, what are some of the teams that you might, you know, want him to end up with, not want him to end up with? If you're the Jays, do you have like, are you happy if he stays in Anaheim? Do you kind of just not care? How do you approach that part of it? You just like draw a line and on the left is AL and on the right is NL and you hope he ends up on the right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair way to, to look at it. I, I think there's probably a little nuance there with respect to you're probably happier if he ends up with the Texas Rangers than if he ends up with the Tampa Bay Rays or if he ends up with the Baltimore Orioles, just given that you are trying to win the American League East and your chances of winning the American League East if Shohei Otani, and I really don't think the Orioles would do this because I don't think you're this disciplined for this many years only to you know, basically empty the farm system to acquire Shohei Otani for two months. So I really don't think the Orioles do this. It doesn't seem like an Orioles move. But in the hypothetical situation that he ends up in Baltimore, that's pretty bad for the Jays. Because catching Baltimore then, if they have the best player in baseball having a career year, catching Baltimore, to say nothing of Tampa Bay, catching the Orioles becomes a lot more difficult. Yeah, in order of preference, it goes NL, and then it goes AL Central and and West. And then in third place of the least preferred scenario is AL East. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and I think there's going to be a wild uh, competition for Shohei Otani this offseason. We're only a few months away from that. And 
in some ways, you could say that making a push to acquire Shohei Otani in a trade would actually give your franchise a better chance to sign him just by exposing him to the way that you do things, giving yourself a sort of addition to to show Shohei um, how your organization does things. So I think that as much as it is quote unquote just a rental, it's actually more than that because it gives you a, maybe an inside track um, at signing him uh, this coming off season. But then again, uh, that kind of signing is going to be reserved for probably one of the few richest teams and probably a team that's, that has a big appetite for risk too. Because if you're talking about a $500 million deal, you're talking about a, a GM and an ownership group, more importantly, that is comfortable taking on a huge amount of risk. Because as amazing as Shohei Otani is, every single day he takes the field, $500 million for any player, because he's still human, he could still trip on a flight of stairs, he could still pull a hamstring, it is a lot of money to devote to one player. I mean, 30 of 30 teams would sign Shohei Otani. So it really comes down to who is the owner who's willing to pay what it would cost to sign Shohei Otani. I don't know about you. I haven't had a conversation with anybody in this game who has predicted he goes anywhere but the L.A. Dodgers. So that's what I that's where I believe that this is headed. But I do think he would be a great New York Yankee. I think that he would like be obviously fantastic for a, a team that's trying to win and would help their chances of doing that. But I think there's also tremendous marketing possibilities in that market as well for him in ways that the Yankees could recoup a lot of the money that they would be paying to him. So I would say Dodgers and Yankees are, are my favorites as things stand right now. Yeah, you hear a lot of speculation. I mean, Mets, they've spent big obviously they're in a bit of a tailspin themselves right now so maybe not quite as rosy in queens as things were a few months ago going into this season i think the mariners have to be considered a dark horse just considering that they are on the west coast he has spent some time in seattle in the off seasons i think any team that trains in arizona probably is an an advantage over as lovely as the Blue Jays complex is in Dunedin, Florida, I think that probably training in Arizona is going to be um, at least more comfortable and at least closer to Japan and closer to the West Coast where he has lived for six years now. So, you know, of course, all of that is the next stage of things. Right now, it's really what team would be willing to give up a huge amount of prospect capital to be able to get Shohei Otani. And Like, I don't know how you even begin that conversation. Like, it would have to be such a huge haul. Like, otherwise, why not just hold on to him? Why not just give your fans the the privilege of watching Shohei Otani for another two months, even if it doesn't result in some sort of playoff run or some sort of top prospect coming back in a trade? Yeah, I mean, I would have said the same thing about Juan Soto at this time last year, and A.J. Preller found a way, so... Uh, I don't know if AJ has any prospects left after that deal, but if he does, maybe he can find another way. Padres are on the West Coast. They train in Arizona. His boy, Yu Darvish, is already there. Makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, I mean, the Padres uh, certainly like taking their shots. That's for sure. And I think, um, much like the Mets, they found a way to get some really big deals done, and they're comfortable spending. They're comfortable with risk, which is, I think, essential when you're talking about a guy like Shohei Otani, and that's kind of why I don't see the Orioles or even the Rays really operating there. But someone's going to end up with him, and I agree the Dodgers are the favorites, and they should be the favorites. But, you know, it'll be really interesting to see. Um, So we'll keep an eye on that, of course, and whether it does impact the Blue Jays. But when we return here on ATL, we will turn our attention back to the Toronto Blue Jays, this time with a look at their offense and how they might approach that as the trade deadline 
grows nearer. Welcome back to At The Letters. And as promised, we're going to go back to the Toronto Blue Jays here and really discuss the offensive side of things. I mean, again, this is a good team. They're playing well. They're in a good spot. They have Vlad Jr. You know, hitting some more home runs lately. He drives it to left field. And do you believe it? His first at bat after winning the home run derby is a home run. And it's one to nothing, Blue Jays. Matt Chapman has had some better at-bats lately. There are certainly some positives on this team. Kevin Biggio has been better since the beginning of May, really. At the same time, I mean, Arden, you look at this team, they have a DH in Alejandro Kirk who essentially hasn't hit for a year now. Um, and I've got the numbers here. In the course of the last calendar year, six homers and a 238 batting average and a 635 OPS. It's just not hitting you know, for, for a year now. Then you've got guys on the bench who, you know, are are certainly capable role players, but realistically you want to improve over Nathan Lucas and find ways to get more offense, I think especially uh, from the right side of the plate. So to me, this is where I really look at a pressing need on this ball club. And I think they need offense. They need to add at least one major league caliber bat. Yeah, 100%. And whether that is of the rental variety, uh, whether that is of somebody with a little bit of term, which I think would probably be the ideal scenario here because you have quite a few uh, areas that you're going to need to address this coming off season with Matt Chapman, Brandon Belt, uh, very likely Whit Merrifield, and uh, definitely Kevin Kiermeyer becoming free agents. I mean, there's a ton of plate appearances and defensive innings coming off of this roster, and they're going to need to be filled uh, from somewhere next year and your options would be internally going with somebody who was rather untested at the big league level obviously like Addison Barger and Elvis Martinez or it's going to be going out and trying to fill that via trade or free agency pretty shallow free agent market on the position player side so I think if the Blue Jays can find a way to uh, acquire a player with some term going forward a la the Whit Merrifield deal last year, or obviously, I mean, Ross Stripling was on the pitching side, but somebody who the Blue Jays acquired not only for the stretch run, but for seasons to come. I think that's going to be a very big focus of this team over the next two weeks is, is looking for those opportunities. Yeah, because, you know, like you said, you can either shop for it now and shop for it again in the offseason, which is fine. Um, you know, there, there are worse ways to approach team building than, than kind of doing it constantly and doing it at each possible stage. Or best case scenario, you just acquire someone now who can help you for the long term. I, I still think nothing wrong with the rental if the right rental is out there. I look at guys, and we've talked about their, the, some of these names before in the podcast, but a Ramon Laureano, a Tommy Pham. I think the advantage there is the price tag is probably a little bit lower than it would be for someone with multiple years of team control who's maybe a bit more of a long-term piece. And so if you just have to sort of patchwork it together, you're optioning Nathan Lucas, Kirk is riding the bench a lot more in this situation, then that's okay. But one way or another, they just have to find some depth and they have to find some upgrades because to your point, not only are a lot of those guys hitting free agents, Merrifield, Belt, Kevin Kiermeyer, 
they're older to begin with. So they might not be able to take the field as often as you would like, even for the duration of the 2023 season. I don't want to just like rehash all of the names that I've given out on the podcast and on Blake Murphy's show and on JD Bunkus's show. And, you know, in the past, people understand my feelings about guys like Tommy Pham, Mark Canna, Randall Gritchick. Let me give you a somewhat outside the box idea that I had the other day. And I'm not even 100% sold on it myself, but the more that I see Alejandro Kirk struggle to produce offensively, the more I become sold with adding a catcher at the deadline, at least exploring it as a creative opportunity. Because you look at that 13th position player roster spot the lucas clement spot so lucas to this point has been like a pinch runner here and there maybe sometimes defensive replacement very seldomly sees a plate appearance ernie clement saw a plate appearance even less than lucas did i mean he was used maybe on the mound more than he was to be an actual position player so lucas just aren't using that roster spot so why not put a third catcher in there why not build out a little bit more depth uh behind the plate which is never a bad thing because if danny jansen got hurt or alejandro kirk got hurt you'd be into tyler heineman territory very quickly why not look for somebody behind the plate who um is a trusted veteran a character guy like a clubhouse guy someone with a bit of leadership someone who has hit left-handed pitching very well in his career why not eon goes a two-run homer why not try to go and acquire a guy like that and and put him on your bench someone who would understand his role understand he's not going to play all the time but maybe he's going to take some plate appearances away from Alejandro Kirk at this point maybe he's going to steal the odd start behind the plate just to lessen the workload on Danny Jansen a little bit and maybe just raises your floor a little bit um, over the final two months of the season yeah I, I like that I think the young Gomes could help I think that adding a catcher um, is potentially a good way to go because, yeah, Kirk just really hasn't hit quality of his at-bats. And then when he's on the bases, he is one of the slower base runners in baseball. Him and Miguel Cabrera, maybe a couple others, are kind of in their own category. And that is tough. It, it's it's tough. So, yeah, I think that if there was a deal to be had for Jan Gomes, you put him on the bench, you're optioning Lucas, you run with three catchers, I think that works. And then I still think in that situation, you got to be adding a second bat. Um, I don't think that Jan Gomes can be the biggest bat that you add to this group, but he could be the second biggest. You know, he could be one of the players who's in that mix for you and he could deepen your roster um, and give you some some quality at bats. So certainly no problem with the idea of adding a guy like Jan Gomes. No, and in true uh, Arden fashion, my like trade deadline targets are the most unsexy, unsplashy, unheadline grabby, bad for the uh, click economy <laughs> players. That you're, you know, you're not going to hear a lot of Marcus Stroman rumors coming out of me, right? Like I'm going to be looking more towards the uh, the under the radar guys that uh, nobody's really talking about, you know. And of course, Jan Gomes couldn't be like the only <laughs> position player. You know, Randall Gritchick couldn't be the only uh, acquisition. At 
at the deadline, but I do think that in tandem with another um, more controllable piece, uh, that that could make some sense as a, as a deadline strategy for the Blue Jays. Like if you could also find a way to get creative with the LA Dodgers for like a Chris Taylor, who they're using somewhat sparingly, and you know the Dodgers need some pitching right now. Obviously, they've got a lot of familiarity with Hunjin Ryu from his time with their organization. A lot of money on both sides there. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. I'm just throwing ideas out right now. But I mean, Chris Taylor would be a pretty nice replacement for Whit Merrifield's role going forward, as would somebody like Ryan McMahon from the Colorado Rockies, right? Like somebody who could play a bit of corner outfield, play on the infield as well. Um, somebody who, uh, you know, you would have, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit of money there, obviously. So, you know, there'd have to be some money being moved around, but you know, somebody who, who would make sense as a longer term fit for this team. I've wondered if the Blue Jays could be creative with the Astros and look to like, you know, a Chaz McCormick. I've wondered about Paul DeYoung with the, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals as like your second baseman going forward, replacing Whit Merrifield in, in the coming seasons, uh, a guy who has a couple club options that, you know, might be a little steep for some people's blood, but might make some sense if you think that like DeYoung, what he's shown this year is is for real going forward and that he's not the 2022 guy uh, and that there actually could be even more in there than, than we've seen to this point. So, you know, the, the, that's that's kind of that's what I've been looking at is like maybe one on the position player side, one rental, uh, and then you know who addresses like uh, a need right now, and then one longer term fit who addresses somewhat of a need right now, but also a future need with with all the plate appearances and defensive innings that are going to be opening up following this season. Right, and I think for anyone looking at the Jays roster and saying, well, who else is coming off? I mean, Lucas is the one spot, and then who would the other one be? Well, a it could be someone going back in a trade. You know, you never know if there's a Santiago Espinal might have interest from another team, for example. Or B, it could just be an injury, you know, where something uh, emerges and you have a roster spot. So I think those things, that side of it would sort itself out. Personally, I would be really surprised if Hyunjin Ryu goes anywhere. I think he's going to be a Blue Jay probably pretty soon. And I think he'll stay a Blue Jay until he hits free agency. But I've been proven wrong many times before on my trade takes. So maybe this will be another one. I, I think he stays put. I think Kikuchi stays put. I think broadly speaking... It makes sense to add a couple bats to this offense. And if you can get one of them that's controllable, that's great. I do think, whatever the case, whatever you do to add to this offense, one of them has to be a little bit of a masher. You know, one of them has to be someone that you're comfortable DHing against a good pitcher. You know, a good right-handed pitcher, a good left-handed pitcher. If Brandon Belt's not available for the ALCS in a good case scenario, Kirk's still not hitting. You want that guy to be able to go in there against, you know, whoever whoever it is. Um you know, let's say it's Fromber Valdez and you're facing Houston. You want to feel okay that that guy can go up there and give you a pretty good at-bat. Well, I've given you no fewer than half a dozen uninspiring and uh, unsexy ideas. So what do you got on your end? Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, I, I'm more in the in the broad category than of, you know, add a right-handed bat. And I've listed the names before as well. I, I won't rehash them here. Um, I think that guys like uh, Tommy Pham and Mark Canna and, and Jerks and Profar make sense for reasons that I've outlined before. I still think they make sense. And uh, I still think the Jays should be in pursuit of that type of bat. And I think that if they don't come away with some sort of upgrade to their position player core, they are running the risk that they are going to be very exposed and giving way too many at-bats to Kirk, way too many at-bats to 
you know, is it a Santiago Espinal who's up there too much? Um, and I don't think you want to be in that position. Yeah, I think that, you know, the trade deadline is a point in the season when all 30 front offices are very engaged and looking to make deals. So I think that as like a front office yourself, you need to take advantage of that and you need to be a part of that because there's no guarantee that some of these opportunities are going to be around even in the winter. You know, you look at the baseball calendar, it really is like trade deadline and winter. That's when deals get done. Deals don't get done from April through like the first three weeks of July. And for obvious reasons, they don't get done from August through October. Yeah. Now, one name that we've mentioned a couple times here, Wade Merrifield, he does have a contract option for 2024 next year. I've kind of skimmed past it because it's an $18 million option. That's a mutual option that both sides would have to agree to pick up. Rarely are those options exercised by both sides. And I just don't see the Blue Jays exercising their side of that. Do you view it differently? Is there a buyout on the Jays side there? 500K, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, I don't think the Blue Jays will, as things stand right now, I don't think the Blue Jays will, will exercise that. Could end up okay for Whit Merrifield, honestly, because maybe on the free agent market, pretty shallow class, maybe there's like two years, $20 million oh, out yeah. there for him. He'll be he'll be in demand. Very good player. He'll be in demand for sure. Um, so that will be, uh, you know, this offseason. In the meantime, the Blue Jays obviously need to be doing what they can to upgrade. Anything else on the trade front here, Arden, before we step aside for the week that you want to get to? I got to save some uh, uninspiring names for future episodes, man. I can't. Next week's out right here. That's right. That's right. Who knows what's await what awaits us in a week's time, but we will be back in a week from now. Um, So look for another at the letters episode. Then we will be with you weekly all the way through the trade deadline, which is August the 1st. Um, So keep your your eyes on the podcast feed or on YouTube. Um, Either way, our producers are covering us off and covering you off. So with many thanks to Christian Ryan and to Nick Andrade for their support. Thanks to Arden for his uh, list of names, uh, uninspired or inspired, depending on the perspective. They certainly would help the Blue Jays. Um, so keep an eye on those. And we will talk to you soon when we come back on At The Letters. 